I'm Chris Voss, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, this is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Welcome back to the Win the Day podcast. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. Before we get into a big, big episode, we've got an exciting development to announce. Already, if you'd like to get a question answered by the guests on the show, simply join the Win the Day Facebook group. You'll find a link to that in the show notes, and you can ask any question you want and get it answered by some of the most successful people in the world on the podcast. That's what we do already. And now, for the first time, we're inviting you to send an audio message. So if you've got a question you'd like to ask me, send through an audio message. We'll play it during the recording so you're literally part of the podcast, and I will answer that question for you during the episode. doesn't matter what your question is related to life, business. If there's anything at all that I can do to help you, that's what we're going to do. You can also do that for our upcoming guests if there's a question you'd like to ask them. If you're not sure who's coming up on the podcast, remember to join the Win the Day Facebook group and keep an eye out for the announcement posts. To send through an audio message, all you need to do is open whatever audio recording app you use. For example, if you're using an iPhone, you can use an app like Voice Memos, but any audio recording app will do the job. Simply record your question and email it to info at jameswit.com. Email it to info at jameswit.com. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. And in addition to getting your question answered on the podcast, we have a special prize. That's right, for every question that ends up being featured on the Win the Day podcast. We'll also email that person who sent the question in a free copy of my international best-selling book, Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy. That's my special gift for sending in an audio message so we can help you with whatever life or business problem you're having. All right, the quote for today's episode comes from media superstar Oprah Winfrey and says, your journey begins with a choice to get up, step up, and live fully. Your journey begins with a choice to get up, step up, and live fully. Because so much about success is having the courage to make the decision to get up, even when it's the last thing we feel like doing. And I know you're a winner because you're here with me on the Win the Day podcast. Our guest for this episode is Chris Voss, author of the mega best-selling book, Never Split the Difference. Chris is the world's foremost authority on negotiation, persuasion, and getting to a yes in the most important conversations in your life. In his 24-year award-winning law enforcement career, Chris was the FBI's lead international kidnapping negotiator, as well as the hostage negotiation representative for the National Security Council. Prior to those roles, Chris served as the lead crisis negotiator for the New York City Division of the FBI. In addition, he was a member of the New York City Joint Terrorist Task Force for 14 years. As an expert in kidnapping, Chris has represented the U.S. government at international conferences sponsored by the G8 and provided expertise on negotiation to governments and universities all around the world. In fact, he was trained in the art of negotiation by the FBI, by Scotland Yard, and by Harvard Law School. Chris has taught business negotiation at Harvard University. He's guest lectured at prestigious universities in Europe and is an adjunct professor at the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business. Seriously, he has one of the most impressive resumes I've ever seen. He's also the founder and CEO of the Black Swan Group, where he shares world-class negotiation tactics and leadership programs to both individuals and businesses. In this episode, we speak with Chris about the most dramatic moments from his hostage negotiation career, how to get out of depression and overcome regret, how to negotiate with your children, that was an important one for me as it might be for you, and the number one thing that hostage negotiation and business success have in common. So if you want to know what you can do to negotiate like your life depended on it, irrespective of what's happened in your past, this is the episode for you. Before we begin, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. 
And if you're enjoying the show, hit the follow button, give it a five-star rating, and know that you're helping someone else around the world to win the day also. All right, strap yourself in. Let's win the day with Chris Voss. Chris, great to see you, my friend. Thanks for coming on the Win the Day show. Thank you very much, James. I appreciate it. I'm going to enjoy the conversation. Well, I'm a big fan of your work, especially your recent book, Never Split the Difference, an incredible read. So anyone listening or watching this, go and grab a copy of that right now. To kick things off, Chris, uh, you've had experiences in your career that definitely aren't normal to the the average person. But I'm curious, what was the moment for you when you realized that you could do anything you set your mind to in terms of manufacturing positive outcomes for your own life? Yeah, well... um... I started experimenting with this stuff when I first volunteered on the suicide hotline way back when, which was a prerequisite to um, becoming a hostage negotiator. I mean, the effectiveness of what I now realize is tactical empathy, you know, um, the intentional use of emotional intelligence to create great outcomes, I guess. I just thought, you know, this stuff's just too powerful. I got to... Uh, this has to work, you know, besides the hotline. Maybe it just works because there are human beings on the other side. So I think it was, prob- it was probably back then, back in, you know, I hate to say the early 19th, last century. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, had, if you had to boil it down, was there a single decision that had the biggest impact on your, on your career to date? Oh, uh, well, you know, most of it was, uh, you know, I got sent in different directions at different times principally by running into a hard brick wall, you know, something bad uh, um, sent me in a new direction. So decision, yeah, tough, you know, uh, you know, I thought uh, I decided to become an FBI agent because the opportunity of sort of traveling around the world sounded cool to me. I'd never been anywhere. I grew up in Iowa. You know, my, my career as a SWAT guy was coming to an end and because due to injuries to my knee and I wanted to stay in crisis response, so I thought I'd try hostage negotiation. I figured it'd be easy. The, the woman who was a gatekeeper there um, made barrier to entry difficult. And so, well, you know, difficult's like a relative concept, right? Barrier to entry where it's difficult is difficult if you don't do what you're told. You know, never take direction from somebody who hasn't been where you're going or never take advice from somebody who wouldn't trade places with. But then when you solicit the advice, do what they say. You know, that didn't seem complicated to me, but so few people do it. I mean, so there are, moment, there are a lot of decisions kind of along those lines. Yeah. Were you more grateful for the career that you went on to have as a result of some of those roadblocks and obstacles that were put in the way? Did that like motivate you to greater effort at the time? Oh, without question. Plus, I think, I think everybody's kind of got a path. And, um, you know, life as a general direction for you, karma, you know, I don't know what it is, but I'm very grateful for the negative things that reset me. I mean, without them, you know, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb's got a book out. It's actually was published in 2012, but I just discovered it recently called Anti-Fragile. And he talks about post-traumatic stress disorder, which everybody talks about, and then post-traumatic stress growth, which nobody talks about. But the fact is, a lot of people ne- never reach the heights of their lives without a traumatic event. And, you know, stress is required for growth. Now, you can't really prescribe stress as a, as a learning model. Uh, it's not a good idea. But, you know, trauma happens. So, you know, you can curl, curl up in a fetal position and stay there. Or you can curl up in a fetal position and then decide to get up. And that's where, that's where growth comes from. It's such a great point, Chris, and I'm sure you've had moments in your career that have, you know, that have haunted you for a period of time. It's easy to, to obviously say we want to learn from that experience. Sometimes it's, it's like this too shall pass with just a little bit more time. For, for people out there who are, who are haunted by these what ifs and these regrets, you know, whether it was a relationship or career, something they did do or didn't do, anything from your career that you've learned about helping people specifically move on from those things that have haunted them so they can be more productive again? You know, it's a simple answer, but it's not easy. Like I learned, I learned on a on a suicide hotline um, to get out of grief, you had to go from grief to gratitude. Like I'm devastated that I lost this loved one. I'm just devastated, and I'm grateful for everything they brought into my life. 
you know, so there's there's a progression there. And when I was on a suicide hotline, actually, it was actually a crisis intervention hotline, which is a lot better than being on a suicide hotline because people can be in crisis and not be suicidal. And consequently, we get a lot of grief calls. And I really sort of enjoyed my ability to help in those the most because it was just sort of enlightening them to moving from grief to gratitude. Now, you can't tell people that. You got to help them experience it. But, you know, I, I'm rambling a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what you asked me originally, but it made me think about grief to gratitude. Yeah, it, that, that work you did, it's interesting. I actually read something recently and it was talking about uh, an opportunity on things like suicide prevention lines is just to get people through the next day. It's not getting them excited about the next 20 years, but it's, it's just getting them optimistic and excited about, about the next day. Is that, a, is that a big part of it? I know you've, you've just got so much more actual experience on this than, than most other people, if not everyone else. Well, not, not where I was. Uh, we're not trying to get anybody excited. We're just trying to help them clear their head. Uh, and you did ask me before about regret. Um, uh, learn from it. I mean, life's got these great lessons. Uh, sometimes they're devastating. It's, but it was there to help you. Uh, um, you, know, you, you get better if you learn from it. I mean, there's, there's, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody gets hurt. It's a choice as to whether or not to live hurt. Um, Craig Rochelle, um, a spiritual leader that, that I follow on, uh, on Instagram because I, I love his philosophy. Uh, he put that up on one of his Instagram posts. It's in inevitable uh, to be hurt. Uh, it's a choice to live hurt. So, yeah, I mean, no matter how devastating it was, you're never going to get out of it until you ask yourself, what did I learn from it? Like one of my phrases is everything we do prepares us for everything we will do. You're going to see this show up in a lot of other places. Does life happen to you or for you? Do you have to deal with it or do you get to deal with it? Like the stumbling blocks, the things that are causing you problems right now, you know, they're, they're the gateway to a higher level life. If you ask yourself, like, what am I, why, what am I supposed to learn from this? Instead of why do I have to deal with this? Like, do what do I get to learn from dealing with this? I'm, and it's a whole just it's a mindset shift, mindset shift, which is certainly easy to say, very difficult to implement. And then the reality is, I mean, you're going to fall back into being fragile. You're going to fall back into despair. And then how do you, how do you climb out of it? Um, it's a little bit of a rock rock paper scissors, scissors with emotions, despair, anger. Elation, challenge, um, uh, crisis or challenge, and you know, anger. Now I'm on, now I'm really all over the place, but you know, anger will lift you out of despair, like in your regret of what you've done or what or your despair over what happened to you. Anger will lift you out of that, and I intentionally use anger occasionally because I find myself depressed or in despair or feeling a sense of loss. It's just so devastating. It feels like a hole has been ripped in me. And, but anger will not get you to your highest levels of performance. It's got to be a positive emotion, gratitude. It might be, um, elation challenge. You know, is this, is this painful or is it challenge you will? And, but you'll get fooled by anger because it made such a great difference in how you feel. And you won't know that the highest level of your performance as a human being has to cross into the, the positive mode. Now, typically, gratitude rarely pulls you directly out of despair. Gratitude rarely pulls you directly out of grief. There's usually an intervening step. But you're never going to get to be the fullest expression of who you are as a human being with anger. Just never going to get there. It's, it's interesting that there's a quote that I'll never forget. It's from Jim Rohn, the American personal development icon, when he talks about disgust as a powerful emotion. It talks about using that, you know, a bit like you mentioned there, anger to help shift you closer towards that gratitude where you can find the, the gift in that situation that you're in, no matter how tough it is. Yes. Yeah. You can use it as a shift. Just don't be fooled by the fact that it lifted you, that you haven't got further to go. I, you know, there, there's a book out there somewhere titled, what got you here won't get you there. You know, anger will get you out of grief, despair, um, inaction. You know, get you up off the floor. Mm. Yeah. But you're not gonna you're not gonna get to your heights in anger. 
And Chris, you touched on earlier about this career that you've had around the world, you know, some incredible things. I feel like you must have seen the, the full spectrum of, of crimes in your law enforcement career. What, what was, the, what was the, the ratio of emotional crimes of passion and opportunity versus really meticulously planned jobs from people who were really well organized? Yeah, there's a lot more um, less well-organized stuff uh, than there is uh, really organized. And then emotions creep into play in all human interaction, all human endeavors. You know, even the predators have emotions. They have fewer of the emotions. You know, like people say sociopaths or psychopaths. And, you know, these are loose terms. But they say those people don't, you know, they don't feel emotions. They feel emotions. They don't feel guilt. You know, the, the narcissist feels emotions. You know, they, they feel despair. They feel loss. They feel anger. So since even, even a predatory sociopath uh, feels emotions, and because that emotion is coming to play in, in all human behavior, decision-making interactions. You know, there's, a, there's a, a quote from the Dark Knight trilogy where it talks about some people just want to see the world burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Did you encounter those people who just wanted to see the world, the world burn? Interesting. I'm trying to reflect. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I have. Directly, personally, I mean, you know, I've had some really, really bad people on the other side, you know, and and of course, you know, you're you're quoting sort of a Hollywood uh, depiction of what real life is. And, you know, I think that's why people struggle with emotional intelligence so much and really learning it, because what is played out for us in TVs and movies, uh, as written by Hollywood writers, it's supposed to pass for understanding and connection and, and empathy is so wrong. It's just so wrong. Or it's it's so rare that you're it's either completely wrong or so ridiculously rare that you're never going to encounter it. I feel like your field in particular, Hollywood's taken many creative liberties in terms of raising the, the urgency and things of, of those those tense police moments. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. Or, or you know, and 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 the worst one is always like, you know, I know just how you feel. <laughs> Some somebody will say that in movies or TV, and they'll say, I know how you feel. I was there once. <laughs> I know how you feel. And as they script it out in a television show or the movie, the other person goes like, Oh my God, thank God. Oh, th- <laughs> thank you so much. And in real life, when somebody says to you, I know how you feel. I mean, you want to punch him right in the face. <laughs> it's like when someone Just, tells you to calm down, when the last thing you want to do is calm down. No one has oh, ever yeah. calmed down as a result of being told to calm down. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you, know, you never split the difference. You mentioned so much about negotiation and getting the result you want is about establishing that connection, that understanding between two parties. And you also mentioned the, the role of experiential learning and how you and the FBI got so good at the art of negotiating. As a result of that connection and that importance about understanding as much as you can about any given situation, which of course can be done in the uh, the analysis of what happened during that situation many months or years later, did you have any inclination or even any actual sit-downs with, with criminals or people you were involved with in those situations at a later date with the intent of getting better about understanding the situation that had just transpired? Well, not with the bad guys themselves. I mean, uh, what what would always end up happening is we would pretty much find out the impact and dynamics of the things that we said. You know, so the po- the post mortem, if you will, of the situation, we would find out everything that happened and the impact. Now, we didn't need to talk to the bad guys about that because we talked to the hostages. I mean, we would we used to do this thing called. Um, uh, um, um, hostage survival debriefing, which ended up in point of fact being a great critical incident stress debriefing for the hostages. Like what was going on? What did you say? How did you feel when this happened? And then consequently, we'd learn about the dynamic. Like one of my favorites, you know, I made a, I made a big shift, of course, with my colleagues help 
on the concept of proof of life. You know, proof of life yeah, you, at the time was basically your security question. What was the name of Chris's first dog? That's a proof of life question. Um, Man on Fire, the movie with Denzel Washington. He says, she's got a bear. Tell me the name of her bear. Or she got a, she got a stuffed bear. You know, a question that only the other person can be able to answer. It's the same greasy as your bear. security. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, greasy bear. There you go. They, ah, you know the movie. <laughs> so um, we, we shifted out of that to a broader question, which is like, how do we know the hostage is alive? Which is actually a legitimate question. And we shifted into that in a hostage in Ecuador. His name was, was Pepe. He taught me so much about hostage survival, like just and mindset shift in surviving a situation. But I had put this new proof of life question into the negotiation and they never ever provided proof of life, ever. And he ends up escaping through his own resources and his wits. I mean, phenomenal story, phenomenal story. And so I want to do the hostage survival debriefing with him, but I really want to know what happened to my new, my new toy. You know, I get this <laughs> proof of life thing. I want to get proof of life ever. So I'm up there with definitely a hidden agenda. You know, I sit down with him in his family's house in upstate New York and, uh, and, and we bond in, in, in the interaction of the moment. And finally, I said, you know, uh, you know, we tried this proof of life thing. And, you know, we coached his wife. His wife was eminently coachable, superstar negotiator. Julie, superstar. And the skill that we wanted was so new, she knew that the local police in Ecuador didn't want to use it. She says, yeah, I knew there were problems. And I knew there was tension between the Ecuadorian gala and the FBI. And thank God they didn't let that tension spring out, you know, because we got a new we got a new toy that we're trying out for the first time. And uh, the local guys are going like, no, nah, that doesn't work. So anyway, afterwards, uh, uh, Pepe says, you know, it was really weird. The negotiator that was supposed to stay in town the whole time to negotiate the ransom and then come out to the jungle to get approval for the deal. Instead, he kept coming out to the jungle and saying, hey, they want to know how Pepe's alive. What are we going to do? Do we take him to town and put him on a phone? Now, this is a complete shift in how the kidnappers operated in a kidnapping. Like they would never do that, but it drew their whole team together by that simple question and made them all think about how to not only do we keep Pepe alive, how do we take good care of him? Because we might need to put him on the phone. And if we do, he's got to be able to talk. And there's all these hostage survival and hostage care dynamics that come into play just because we ask a question. And that's when I went like, holy cow. You know, we did a post-mortem through the hostage. We didn't have to talk to the bad guys, but we found out everything that happened and we knew we were in a whole ne- different space by that change. Yeah, uh, so much there. It's like, so you're diffusing that line that they think they're on, that course of action that's going to be this destructive result. Uh, and it's also a bit like the movie Inception, where they, we've mentioned a few movies already today, uh, where they plant that, you're planting that seed of an idea that can help change that, change that path to create that outcome you want. We have definitely referred to uh, what now in the Black Swan method is calibrated questions and for that exact thing. Like, how do you plant an idea so it grows in their mind and they think it's their idea? And there are a couple of different tools in a Black Swan method for doing that. And calibrated questions is definitely one of those tools. In a in a negotiation, are you given basically free reign to and, and have tunnel vision exclusively on making sure the hostages are safe and managing the dynamic with the hostage taker? Or are you also trying to keep the sort of tack teams at bay? You know, what they talk about like in, in some of the movies, there might be more aggressive people in the in the team who want to go in there all guns blazing to resolve it more directly and forcefully. Well, it's uh it's a very collaborative relationship. Um and so and then you know, they're gonna be tweaks that we're gonna want here and there. And it's a negotiation with the with the SWAT guys. And I will say, all right, so here's, like, we're going to say, look, we want to make a delivery of food. And the SWAT guys are going to go like, no. 
That's exposing our guys to harm. Every time we approach a crisis site, it exposes them to harm. It's unnecessarily. And we'll say, well, what we're really doing is getting the bad guys used to seeing you come and go. And then every time they see you, they're going to be more relaxed. So if you ever have to do assault, we can get you closer without cranking them up. And they'll be like, oh. All right. You know, so there was always the negotiation within the negotiation. As long as you understand how the other side's looking at it and what harm do they feel they're being exposed to, what's their fear of loss? And all human decision making, the most dominating factor is fear of loss. Not the only factor, it's only the most dominating. <laughs> what 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 is a hostage taker most afraid of? Their own life? Something happened to, to their loved ones separately, or what would it be? Their vision of the future and losing that vision. Vision drives decision. Again, this is all human decision making, just not hostage takers. They're in there because they had a vision of the future and something triggered a sense of loss. We were taught in hostage negotiation, look for the loss. We're gonna we're gonna take these very specific skills. And our real job is to uncover the loss and then deactivate their negative reaction to that sense of loss. And that ends up being absolutely the prescription in business deals. 70% of buy decisions, the decision to buy, 70% of them are made to avoid a loss. Only 30% of them are made to achieve a gain. So loss is the most motivating factor in human, in human decision-making. Not the only one, just the most, the biggest one, the biggest impact. We thought it was just hostage negotiation. There's a loss. Dig into it. Dig into it by invitation. Because then once you're in there and you find out what the loss is, if you're in their head by invitation, which is what tactical empathy does, instead of forcing your way in, they're comfortable with you being behind their defenses, around their vulnerabilities. Get their comfort level high, and it increases how much more quickly you can influence them into taking a different look at the same loss. I remember in Catch Me If You Can, I actually first read the book by Frank Abagnale before the movie, and he talks about human error being the number one reason for fraud. And it sounds like it's a similar theme for you. There is always a human behind every one of those things. So if you get to the human using the things that you've spoken about today, like familiarity and, and planting those seeds of a different result, uh, things like tactical empathy that you, you mentioned through Never Split the Difference, um, by approaching that person as a human is the method for success in business, in negotiation, and, and all those different areas. Nice, exactly. And and that, you know, that's kind of the interesting thing. Then when you start to look for it, the same principles and dynamics begin to show up in other contexts and you recognize them, and then you're like, all right, I got a universal principle here. <laughs> Frank Abagnale is talking about it, Chris Voss is talking about it. Maybe it works. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, emotion, such a big one. You know, it can be such a destructive emotion. It can destroy personal lives, can destroy business. What, what's the secret for people to keep calm under that pressure and, and obviously productive under that pressure when they feel like we're in the then they feel like we're in their in the ultimate do or die situation? Yeah, well, and so and let's draw a fine line here too, because people give you know, talk about emotion as if emotions cross the board are bad. Negative emotions are bad. And when people begin to talk about emotion, they're talking about negative emotion. And, you'll, and then I'll say, well, positive emotions make you smarter. You're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. And then their ego is convinced like, yeah, well, what if you're so giddy? Uh, you lose your ability. You know, you just become caught up in a moment and you're too uh, giddy and overwhelmed. Like, all right, come on. All right. You know, <laughs> you're taking this to an extreme. <laughs> but it's negative emotions. And so when you're trying to get somebody calm, you're actually trying to deactivate their negative emotions. And, and if you still think that positive emotions are bad, right, first of all, um, Sean Acker, Harvard psychologist, TED Talk, I think it's called The Happiness Advantage. This is my source of data that you're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. Watch his TED Talk. It's funny as heck. And he makes the point. And it's, it's an entertaining TED Talk. Um, I'm jealous because mine's funny. His is funnier. <laughs> <laughs> that that You can always do another one, Chris. You can always do another one. <laughs> I'll do another one. And then also Stephen Kotler, the, the, the rise of Superman. Yeah. Superman, one of, the, one of the world's experts on the mindset of flow, where human performance is at its highest level. 
Stephen tells us that flow is a highly positive state of mind, bordering on euphoria, not in euphoria, which people are then bad-mouthing euphoria, but bordering on euphoria where people do things that they're just not capable of otherwise. So again, understanding the distinction between the two, and then now let's get back to the negatives. I was going to say that distinction there between just positive versus negative emotions alone, such a big you know, all we hear is emotions bad, but that distinction between positive and how you can leverage positive um, positive emotions to be able to get that ideal outcome so important. Yes, yeah, a thousand percent, and and worth underscoring. You just got to understand the dynamics, and the dynamics really are: don't ignore negative to get to positive. Deactivate the negative, because the brain in default mode we're negative, survival mode. You got to be pessimistic when in doubt. Assume things are going to go bad. That's what the caveman had to do. You know, when in doubt, assume that this big furry thing walking down a jungle path in my direction with these giant fangs sticking out the side of its mouth, assume that's bad news. That dude survived. We are his his descendants. <laughs> it's like the British SAS. I think it's prepare for the worst, hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But prepare for the worst first, right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> deal with it. Absolutely. So what's calm about? Calm is really largely getting you out of negative emotions. And you know what's, what's the short antidote for it for you and for them? The late night FM DJ. DJ voice, yeah. Calms everybody down. Even calms the user down. Now, you don't got to be a man to use that voice. You, it's just about downward inflection. One of, uh, one of our instructors, Sandy Hind, phenomenal superstar instructor on women in negotiation and she pretty much says the same thing i do but she's a woman so sometimes women need to hear it from somebody who's experiencing the same stresses and sandy says yeah you know tuck your chin if you drop your chin when you speak your voice will come down which means even if uh, you're a woman with a high voice it's not really necessarily the pitch it's the inflection when you finish the words. We'll be back with the show shortly. If you're a business owner and have a podcast of your own, we've got a free gift just for you. It's called the Recurring Results Roadmap, and we've created it to give you a detailed blueprint to scaling your business using your podcast. So if you're overwhelmed with a never-ending to-do list, struggling to work on the business instead of in it, or simply want the formula to massive business growth, this is for you. Click the link in the show notes and download a free copy of the Recurring Results Roadmap. It will show you exactly how you can use a podcast to maximize your business revenue. All right, let's get back into the fun. If you were helping someone, you only had 10 minutes to get them ready for negotiating for the, the biggest thing of their life, you know, their life was on the line, would that 10 minutes mainly be about the pursuit of calm that you mentioned there or would you focus on more tactical things? No, it'd be, it'd be the pursuit of calm, but now how we get there is a whole nother question. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Um, I'm, when I'm working international kidnappings, I need the family to cooperate with me. And I need to get the family ready fast because by the time I walk in their living room, the kidnapping is at least 24 to 36 hours old. And if the bad guys haven't called yet, they're about to. So I don't have a whole lot of time. The really ridiculous thing, like I already know what they're feeling because I've done this enough times. And, you know, when you're dealing with human being, human emotions, they're ridiculously predictable. Everybody has an ability to really predict emotions. And it typically stems from what would you want to to deny? Like, I don't want you to think. I don't want you to feel. Everybody could start almost any conversation that way. So you're picking up the correct emotions. But the difference is don't deny them first. I walk into a victim's family's house. I know they're angry. They feel abandoned, alone. It's the most abandoned and alone they've ever felt. And as a result, they are angry. Because anger is usually a result of another negative emotion, a loss of some sort. And your reaction is anger, like what we were talking about before. So I'll walk into a victim's family's house and I'll say, I know you're angry. I know you feel abandoned. And I know you've never felt more alone in your entire life. 
Now, what I'm doing is I'm taking sniper shots to immediately start picking off the negative emotions. And these are having an instantaneous impact on those negative emotions. I'm, I'm picking them off and I'm, and I'm bullseyeing them every time with the way that I'm saying this. Now, then I know that fear is going to be the biggest thing that they're going to be dealing with. And the, every, the kidnappers are going to want to stoke that fear. They're going to stoke it by making threats, which is a manipulative move. They're going to stoke it with their tone of voice. There are a lot of business people that do this exact same thing. They understand if they can build your fear enough, you'll start caving in and giving in and making agreements you should not make. So how do I get them fully inoculated against fear? I'll look at whoever's going to go on the phone for the family because I'm a coach. And I get on the phone. I'm a, I was an international negotiation coach. And I'm going to say, look. I want you to be afraid. As a matter of fact, you're not afraid enough. I need more fear from you. When you get on the phone, I want you to be horrified. And they'll go, what? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Now, that instantaneous reaction is there as clear-headed as can be. Instead of it stoking that fear, it so catches their, their emotional circuitry, the limbic system in such a way that I will deactivate the whole thing instantly by just saying, look, I need more fear from you. I want you to be more afraid. And I just knew that some kind of way that they'd literally, they'd go like, are you out of your mind? That's the dumbest <laughs> thing I ever heard. Now, a minute ago, before I said it, they were out of their mind, but the transformation for them was so instantaneous that it completely cleared their head up right off immediately. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I feel like this might be a good time, Chris. We have a question uh, from the Win the Day community. And if anyone out there listening to this or watching this wants to get a question asked of our podcast guests, join the Win the Day group on Facebook. This question comes from Danny, who also works in law enforcement. He's in Sydney, Australia. Danny asked, as a negotiator, was there a time when you trusted your gut instinct and went, and went against what the police hierarchy wanted? If so, what was the outcome? That's a rigged question because the police hierarchy is almost always wrong. <laughs> you know, these negotiators, uh, the negotiators and the SWAT guys, they train and they prepare for this. They spend a lot of time getting ready. So even if they haven't been in that many instances, their preparation level is high. Commanders don't prepare at all. I mean, these guys, these they don't train, they don't prepare, you know, they walk in and in the midst of chaos and then they're going to make it a lot of, a lot of bad decisions based on fear of loss. You know, and you'll hear commanders say all the time, you know, their version, I could just see my career going down in flames over this incident. Like you are thinking about the wrong thing here. You're thinking about <laughs> but that they're human beings and they're being driven by their fear of loss. And oh my God, if I make a bad decision. I'm going to get blamed and my career is going to go down in flames. What does that mean? The safe thing is to make no decision or then to react angrily, uh, vindictively. Or, and they can, they, can get, they can get talked into some of the dumbest things. You know, and it ain't just in Australia. You know, there's a, there was a siege in Pennsylvania a number of years ago. Um, and they decided uh, the commander to get command wanted to be able to see inside. He couldn't see inside. You know, they were only listening to the negotiators, but they didn't have eyes inside. You know, they didn't have cameras inside. You know, sometimes you slip cameras in, little, little peephole cameras under a door through a peephole. So he orders a SWAT team to do a break and rake on the windows, which is, you know, break the windows, pull the curtains back, break and rake the curtains out of the way so we could see inside. Now, that was a dumb idea because empathy is what's it look to the other side? How's it look to the bad guy on the inside? It looks to him like an assault. You're raising tension way too fast. He opens, he opens fire on the hostages. And then, then SWAT's got to go in as a result because now there's gunfire inside. Afterwards, this bozo holds a press conference and said all we were doing was trying to get a look inside. Like, oh, shocking. The guy on the other end of your action had no idea what you were doing. So, yeah, it happens all the time, but the big 
thing that hostage negotiators don't want to do is negotiate with command and use empathy on command and not take the time to negotiate with command. And like when I became a full-time, I got promoted to the FBI's crisis negotiation unit. You know, one of my biggest things was I wrote a whole block of instruction on negotiating with command. And then after I left the FBI for several years, when I was still going to negotiation conferences, I wrote a block of instruction on negotiating with command because they are as emotional or more so than the bad guys because they see their career going down the tubes. We used to call it the crisis within the crisis. So you can't tell command what to do any more than you could tell a bad guy what to do. You got to use the application of tactical empathy to get the command to make the right decision. It's crazy. It reminds me of like a CEO who cares more about money than they do about people or as a CEO who's making these big decisions without having any idea at all of what's going on in the trenches of the business. Exactly. Now, again, the parallel, this is just human decision-making and whether it's a CEO or an on-scene commander or a hostage taker, they're all kind of driven by the same dynamics, the, the things that alter people's thinking via emotion. What, what high-profile individual around today intrigues you the most, good or bad, in terms of their communication style or, or style of persuasion? Well, I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Oprah, um, and nobody thinks of her as a negotiator. Nobody. But if business success is fueled by ability to negotiate, not only is she one of the richest people in the world, but more than that, she started way back further behind than anybody else did. You know, she wasn't born the child of a millionaire real estate, New York, New York City real estate developer. Donald Trump's father was a ridiculously successful multi-millionaire real estate developer in New York. That's how he got his head start, you know, million dollars from dad and dad's reputation and backing behind him. Now, he went a long way, but he also had a head start on being a black female from a low-income uh, part of Chicago who uh, had a really rough childhood. <laughs> so, you know, I, I like, I like Oprah's, Oprah's, like, Oprah's got the late-night FM DJ voice. Oprah lives by the last impression is the lasting impression, believe it or not. You know, her, her people call it in in a limo, out in a limo. Most of the entertainment world lives by in in a limo, out in a taxi. As soon as they're done with you, they don't care. Oprah's people are based on her leadership and guidance, no matter how it goes. The last words and last impression from her and her team will always be of genuine regard. And you know, she you know, she'll she'll confront somebody over a decision. And I've heard this relayed to me word for word by people very close to her. She'll let them know what the decision is. She'll leave them completely in charge of the decision. And then she'll say, no matter what you do, I am always going to love you. Understand that no matter what you do, I will always love you and I will always care for you. And it'll always be the last thing out of her mouth. The last impression is a lasting impression. So she, she's someone, I think, who's phenomenal. Yeah, it's someone as a leader who's not afraid to get in there and, and you know, be in the nitty-gritty to do the work that needs to be done. You know, tactical empathy, a big part of that is, is listening uh, I'm a parent now, Chris. I have I have two children. One of them in particular, this toddler that we have, who is a sweetheart 90% of the time. You probably know where I'm going with this. The other 10% of the time for, for parents, it's it's tough, right? Like having these conversations, these very real negotiations with master manipulators where they're pushing the boundaries. How do we get them to comply with our wishes? You know, it might be, I'm not talking about something they don't want to do, but, you know, maybe they need to get in their car seat or, or whatever it might be. How do we get that outcome that they need? To, to be happy and healthy and safe in life without the, the war that ensues often? Yeah, well, first of all, like uh, you can't kick your expectations in too early, which is, you know, they, cognitively, they're just not going to be there till you know, somewhere three, four years old. Uh, and then, and first, first of all, you know, they, they, they're, they're going to be, however you've conditioned them in advance, you know, there's going to be kicking and screaming early because you've conditioned them that kicking and screaming is effective. When you ignore the kicking and screaming, they, they kind of go like, ha, huh, that didn't work. Let me try something else. Removes the weapon out of the arsenal. Right, right. But you're, you know, you're giving them the weapon. But then uh, as, you know, as, they're, as they're getting older, 
You know, I, I read in a parenting book a long time ago, up to age five, treat them like a king or queen. Uh, five to 15, work them like a slave. 15 on, let them go. So then what your challenge is, is they get, they clear four or five years old. Your challenge really is to help them think. You know, not really to tell them what to do or to reason with them. First of all, you can't reason with people anyway. You know, I, I take phrases that I've heard in the past that have been improperly attributed to gender or age and then say it's humans. And one of my favorites in the past, which is wrong, is there's two, ar- there's two rules for arguing with women and both of them are wrong. Now, the point of it is there's two rules for arguing with people and both of them are wrong. If you're explaining, you're losing. If you're arguing, you're losing. You're trying to explain stuff to your kids. Why don't my kids listen? You can't explain stuff to your colleagues and have them listen. But you can help people think. And principally helping your kids think are going to be with calibrated questions, what and how. I mean, what are you trying to do? I mean, how's this going to help you? How's, how's, how am I supposed to let you Go out this weekend if you don't get your work done tonight. Ooh, that's a stop you in your tracks question. And you can see that the difference between a parent who might be, you know, giving all these materialistic things that giving a fish rather than teaching them how to fish, how to have that critical thinking that you mentioned before. That you nailed it exactly. You're still in a teaching phase. Now you want to tell them because you're tired and you don't got time. So whatever you got to do to recharge, but you, uh, any parent that has experienced, experienced frustration with their child, that frustration is just merely feedback to you that your approach needs an adjustment. <laughs> Love that, Chris. Mic drop. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Uh, speaking of conflict, well, that's conflict in the home. Conflict more broadly, you know, with social media, there's a lot of tension and, and conflict in the, in the world at the moment. COVID, people wearing masks and, and losing a lot of that connection uh, obviously hasn't helped. A lot of financial challenges too people have experienced in the last few years. Uh, how do we bring people together? Is there anything from your work that, that helps um, that we can start to apply and think about more broadly to start to bring people together at a time when it's like a, a bigger wedge is just being created every single day? On, on, a, on a person-to-person interaction, I mean, really, uh, every, I wish everybody would learn this phrase and start their conversations, especially the contentious ones. Before I disagree with you, here's where it looks to me like you're coming from. And then you can't disagree until you get a that's right out of the other side. Now, you've not compromised your principles in any way, shape, or form. Because the first phrase lets them know that you're not in agreement. You know, people, mm-hmm. you're not sympathetic. Uh, you know, people equate, people are scared of demonstrating understanding because they think it's tantamount to agreement. It is not. Draw the fine line between uh, agreement and understanding, and you're free to understand. But say, before I disagree with you, here's what I believe is how you see things. And then repeat it back to them until, they, they, until you get that's right. And, and you can't quit until you get that's right. And then once you get to that's right, you're free to disagree all day long. And anytime that we've put people in contentious conversations where they're adamantly opposed with each other. That simple ground rule resulted in zero arguments. Mutual respect. That's all it is, but demonstrate some respect first. And the rate of return on that is very high. Mm. Yeah, I love that, Chris. Uh, What have you learned about yourself in the last two years in this huge um, transition and and huge shift for the world? Wow. you know, I think I, I got to evolve as a human being also. Um, and, you know, my natural uh, type is to be assertive. You know, even even with this practice, the skills of demonstrating understanding are perishable skills. So you need practice. You need to continue to do it in little ways. And 
then when you stick to the rules, I mean, uh, the really funny thing is then you sort of then be discover new moments within what you're doing. Um, and if you just focus on the simplistic, the simplest, most basic aspects of it at different points in time, some really cool stuff happens. And I, I is, is, um, enthusiastic as I am about my opinion, my own ability. I find my opinions to be, my abilities be highly perishable. I mean, without attention, I just get rusty and I get reminded of that on a regular basis. Yeah, you know, simplifying practice. A lot of people that I talk to on this show, it seems like in a, a world of such transition that coming down as to what can you do to simplify your life and then just doing the reps, that practice to, to get to where you need to be is such a big one. Yeah, um, yeah, my son Brandon likes to say preps and reps. Yeah. You know, do a little mental preparation, get your reputation in. Get your preps, preps and, and reps. reps in. Yeah, perfect. Uh, last question, Chris, before we move into the win the day rocket round. On your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard that you could show yourself on your worst day? Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Yeah. Gee, that's powerful. All right, Chris, let's now move into the win the day rocket I, round. I'm oh, sorry. I'm going to say I stole that. I think Tom Bilou, Bill Bilou, I'm sure I'm pronouncing Tom's last name. I, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm Tom Bilou from Impact Theory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bilou. Yeah. See, sorry, I'm I, too many syllables there for me. <laughs> I can. I feel like that's from a movie. Remember who you are. You know what? Is it from The Lion King? I feel like Mufasa says that to Simba. Remember who you are. It might. It might be. All I know is uh, I was in a conversation with Tom recently. He loves human nature and insight into it. And very much like me, you know, first be agnostic. Like, don't care what works. Like, just because you know what works doesn't mean you got to adopt it. But let me know really what the dynamic is. Then I'll, then I'll make my decision based on my own morality after the fact. And, and, and he said that. And I've, I've been every now and then. I get stressed. You know, I get the end of the day. I get tired. I'm, I'm using it. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Well, let's now move into the win the day rocket round. 10 questions for some quick answers. You up for this one, Chris? I'll try to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, what quote inspires you the most? Uh, inspiration. Wow. You know, um, wow. You know, I'm using, I'm using stuff that I've heard from other people all the time. You know, uh, I know stuff I've heard from Tony Robbins, which is, you know, life's not happening to you, it's for you. Uh, that, you know, that's the first one I come up with off the top of my head. But, I, you know, I like to use that stuff a lot because, you know, everybody needs mental hygiene. And those are the kind of things that, you know, help us take care of our mental hygiene. Yeah. What was a quote that I, I heard from you somewhere? I don't know if it was in your book or another interview that you've done, but it was like the best way to ride a horse is in the direction that it's going. Was that, uh, was that one of yours? I thought that was a really interesting one. <laughs> a good one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Morning coffee, and every now and then, you know, there are some health benefits to small amounts of wine. So, you know, I'll, 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 I had, I drank some wine last night. I don't, I don't try to drink a lot, and I don't drink it every night. <laughs> uh, but both are good. Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your eighteen-year-old self? Um, just take a couple of miles an hour off your 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 fastball. You know, just just be just be a little nicer in your delivery. You don't have to change what you're saying. You know, just just take a little bit of the edge off, and you'll go farther. Number four, what book do you gift the most apart from your own? Wow, it depends upon what I'm reading in a moment. Um, previously, it probably would have been uh, Kotler's book, The Rise of Superman. Um. There's kind of there's four or five. There's actually on our website, you know, one of the articles that, that we wrote, BlackSwanLTD.com. We put out a weekly newsletter, The Edge, um, which is complimentary. But I did a piece, you know, uh, twelve most recommended books to take your negotiation skills to a higher level. Kotler's book was on that, uh, and Stealing Fire is on that, both both by him. So I've gifted those books a lot. Yeah, great books. Uh, number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Wow. Like, well, I am replete with imperfections and flaws. So it <laughs> there would be plenty. 
<laughs> um, now, whether or not I, you know, I think somewhat recognition. Eh. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. I mean, everybody struggles with fear in one way or, or another. You know, just recognizing it out loud is actually a superpower. Well, you know, whatever it is, calling it out out loud um, ends up having a massive impact on people because they see your flaws. You know, if you don't say anything about them, you look like you're either oblivious or or uh, or you don't care. You know, I. What is it? Um, which is worse, stupidity or apathy? I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that leading with vulnerability—it's it's big, isn't it? Such a great way to—you know—a lot in your book you talk about that connection and that leading with vulnerability. I feel like is a great way of of doing that. Uh, number six: What's one thing you've learned about failure? Um, uh, there's a, it's a, it's a life's greatest teacher. I mean, it's it's failure's accelerator. Uh, if you if you're willing to embrace it, I mean, failure is the accelerator. And once you embrace that, then you lose your fear of it, and like crazy things begin to happen. Well said. Uh, number seven: If you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Yeah. Well, all right. So context is very important there. Like, if I was on a park bench. And they weren't, ain't, weren't able to walk away. They weren't able to go anywhere. I mean, we're kind of forced to sort of exchange thoughts for a while. It'd probably be Bono. Now, I'm not particularly interested in meeting Bono because he's busy with his thing and I'm busy with my thing. And if we were being introduced, they're probably like, hey, how are you? And then we keep moving. But if we we're both forced to sit on a park bench and exchange thoughts for about an hour, and I'd start talking to him about his thoughts about religion, because, uh, you know, I read the book, U2 by U2. Fascinating in so many ways and chronicles their history. And it, so much more religion and spirituality in their music than I ever realized until I read that book. And I would really be interested in talking with him about his, his journey and how he came to where, you know, what were the insights and what does he feel now? Because he's a very, very religious dude. And but he's not really in favor of organized religion. And so it's, it's really interesting how, you know, you know, how you get there, I think, which is pretty much a place that a lot of us find ourselves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, number eight, I'm going to mix up this question. Usually we, we have this question, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? I feel like for you, I'd like to ask, was there a particular negotiation from history or more recently that you wish you were a part of? Well, I'd, I'd love to have been, in, you know, with those negotiators that were doing the Middle East peace negotiations through the 90s. I mean, uh, there, were, there were about four guys that originally started under Bush 43, 41, uh, H.W., um, the father. And it lasted. And since they were so good at it, um, you know, they lasted to all the Clinton years and a little bit afterwards. Like that would have been an endeavor worth being in the middle of and then the tragedies and the assassinations and the turmoil and the interest of the leaders. Like I gained so watching that movie, I gained a lot more respect for Bill Clinton um, and what those guys went through. I would, I would have loved been part of that. Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. Uh, hike, to no, hike to South Pole. And final question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? Uh, gratitude exercise first thing in the morning. Love it. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Chris Foster. We'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow him on Instagram at the FBI Negotiator. Grab a copy of his mega bestseller, Never Split the Difference on Amazon and learn about his company, The Black Swan Group at blackswanltd.com. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Chris, thanks for coming on the Win the Day show. I enjoyed the conversation, man. Thanks for having me in. I hope you enjoyed that interview. As you heard, our guests love to hear positive feedback no matter where they're at in their careers. So share a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway so our guests know they made a difference in your life today. 
If you own your own business and would like to learn how to grow it using your podcast, download a free copy of our Recurring Results Roadmap. You can find that linked in the show notes. And if you're new to the Win the Day show, hit the subscribe button so you can get access to episodes like this one as soon as they are released. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. That's all for this episode. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.